welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening service of Sunday the 26th of February 2017, entitled Stopping What God Starts, and the Bible reading is taken from Psalm 11. Here's Brother Dave Kistler. Well, it's been a wonderful couple of days, has it not? And I know everybody is tired. I shouldn't even bring that up because that'll even make you more tired, but anyway... Uh, I have watched people, uh, young people this afternoon sleep in here during the latter part of the Q&A time. That's okay. And then uh, some of them fellowshiped in the hour and a half that uh, lapsed between the Q&A time and the service this evening. But uh, it's been a power-packed and action-packed couple of days. But it has been my delight, my honor to be here. Years and years ago when I met Brother Larry Curtis, the Lord just knit our heart together. We met every Saturday evening that I was in town. Uh, and he was in town, not traveling and doing deputation work. We would meet at his pastor's office and would have prayer together. And many, many times we'd stretch out on that blue shag carpet. Do you remember that? And we would stretch out, prostrate on that carpet. And we'd pour our hearts out to God, that God would open up doors for him in the country of England, that God would bless our evangelistic ministry. And that's been many, many years ago. In fact, it's more than 33 years ago, uh, I guess, that all of that started. And uh, God graciously answered those prayers, didn't he, brother? And now here we are all these many years later, and we're serving God together. And then Brother Brian Beaver entered the, the, the picture in my life. And then through, I don't know if I should take credit or blame, but anyway, somehow along the way, uh, I got him connected with uh, Brother Larry. And so uh, if there were ever three people that think almost identically alike, and this is scary to even utter, uh, much less be true, it's the three of us. And uh, we're kindred spirits in every sense of the word. And uh, boy, it's been a blessing to be able to be here and share this wonderful time together with two of the dearest friends I have on the face of the earth, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity. I want you to take your Bibles this evening, turn to Psalm 11, if you would, please. And while you're turning, I want to uh, have you look up at me once you've found Psalm 11. I want to just talk to you from my heart here in just the first couple of minutes of the message this evening. And I want to beseech your prayers about something. And at the end of the message, I'll share with you why all of this is so important. In fact, I haven't really shared what I'm going to share with you this evening uh, publicly at all. But but I'm going to do it here for a couple of reasons. Number one, I'm in the country of England, and hopefully this will not get back across the pond. I'm going to ask you not to share at least one thing with anybody on Facebook or anything like that because it is, uh, it is important. But I, I want to share it for another reason, and that's because I believe this church loves our family, loves our ministry. I believe you pray for us. I believe this is a praying church. And I want to say thank you publicly for your faithful missionary support of our ministry and your ministry support, your faithful support, is part of the reason why I want to do what I'm going to do tonight. So uh, stay with me. We're going to try to be very, very brief, all right? But uh, we're going to come to Psalm 11 in just a minute. But I want you to pray about a couple of things upcoming. You know that I have been an evangelist traveling literally around the globe for the last 33 years, preaching in meetings like this. And I still have about 40 to 42 local church or local church type meetings every year. Uh, we sometimes will do one, two, three citywide crusades a year. Year. It just depends on the year. But we've also taken on this very heavy responsibility of a ministry called Hope to the Hill. Our ministry is Hope Ministries International. H-O-P-E stands for Helping Others Prepare for Eternity. And so we've taken on Hope to the Hill, and uh, we put hope in there because we want to help those up on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. In my nation's capital, find Jesus Christ the Savior. And ought to hear an amen right there. Uh, do you believe that U.S. congressmen and senators need to be saved? 
I do. I do. I, I, listen, I deal with them. I believe they need to be saved. You say, Brother Dave, do you ever get frustrated with them? The answer is yes. There are times I watch some of these guys on television. If I could insert my hands through the television screen, I would put them around the necks of some of these people and clamp down. I get frustrated. Please tell me you don't get frustrated with British Parliament at times. Do you ever get frustrated? The answer is resounding yes, we do. But the point is this, though they frustrate me at times, I want you to know I love those folks with all my heart. And God has given us a ministry up on Capitol Hill called Hope to the Hill. Part of what we do is this. One of the things that we just did with our ministry is distribute over 50,000 of those beautiful booklets I mentioned to you the other night. We distributed those on Inauguration Day uh, when our 45th president was inaugurated because hundreds of thousands of extra people came into town. We thought, what a prime time to distribute the Word of God. And so we did that. It was a powerful, powerful thing but we do all kinds of other things that are major events on the hill. One of them occurs at Christmas time where we do a live nativity in Washington, D.C. Started out, Brother Brian, as stick figures, you know, still figures out in front of what is now our ministry headquarters. And boy, that's kind of cheesy. Would you agree with me? You know, in the nation's capital, uh, we ought to have, you know, larger figures. Well, even those figures begin to stop traffic as they'd come down 2nd Street. They'd look to the left and see the live nativity, nativity Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus, shepherds, wise men, and all of that. And Traffic was slowing down so much that the D.C. police said, look, you can no longer do that. You've got to keep everything moving. So um, we decided this, uh, that uh, what we would try to do is do a live nativity with actual live characters, full period costumes. And boy, that really stopped traffic. I'm just telling you it did. And they said, you can continue doing this as, as long as you will move through the streets of Washington, D.C. and not stay stationary in one part, uh, one part of the city. Well, that's like saying sick them to a bulldog. So what we do is we eat everybody in their period attire, in their costumes. And by the way, a couple of years ago, Brian, they called and said, Brother Dave, we need you to be a wise man. Uh, in, in the live nativity. And normally I would just walk with them, you know, uh, along with the other ministers that participate with us. And I don't play a role or a character, but they said, no, we need, we need some extra people. We need you to be a wise man. And I know what you're thinking. Why would they recruit a wise man or a man to come from North Carolina to come to D.C. and be a wise man? Because they can't find any wise men in Washington, D.C. So they have to, have to recruit them from the outside. I'm joking, all right? But anyway, uh, they said, would you come do that? I said, yes, I will. And so this live nativity is an amazing thing. What we do is this. We start out in front of the ministry headquarters, make a right-hand turn, go down what is called the Senate side of Capitol Hill, and you start down, make a left-hand turn, come right between the U.S. Capitol there, uh, the United States Supreme Court there, and we set up in front of our United States Supreme Court the full live nativity, and the entire Christmas story is read from beginning to end in front of the United States Supreme Court with live nativity, camels, sheep, Little donkey, by the way, we have two camels. We have one named Junior, and Junior has a son. He doesn't have a hump, so his name is Humphrey. That is his name. That is his name. His name's Humphrey. And we do all of that right in front of the United States Supreme Court. I'll turn him in right there. Trying to bring the gospel to Washington, D.C. One of our other major events that's upcoming will take place in the month. May, first week of May. Uh, you say, Brother Dave, I didn't know they still allowed this in, in, in the United States of America, especially in Washington, D.C., but they do. A pulpit just like this one is set up on the West Plaza of the United States Capitol. By the way, let me ask, any of you watch the inauguration of our 45th president on TV? Anybody watch a little of that? Maybe just out of sheer curiosity, okay? I did too. In fact, I was there, and I watched a part of it on television in between passing out those booklets. Well, right where our 45th president was inaugurated, 
decorated right below that, because that's on a platform that is built just for inaugurations every four years. Right below that, when all of that is taken down, the very spot where our presidents are inaugurated, there is a pulpit placed. And beginning on April 30th, running all the way to May 4th, which is a Thursday, from Sunday afternoon, April 30th, to Thursday afternoon, May 4th, the Bible is read nonstop from cover to cover in less than 90 hours on the West Plaza of the United States Capitol. Can I hear an amen right there? By the way, we have had people, Miss Rifka, come from all over the world, just tourists passing through the month of May, and they'll stop and say, hey, what are y'all doing? And I'll say, well, we're reading the Bible from cover to cover. Well, what can I read? And so if somebody wants to read, yes, we let them read. By the way, there was a young lady who came by in a driving rainstorm uh, a couple of years ago, and I happened to be the one up reading. I signed up right for a three-hour time slot to read the Bible. Well, to read the Bible, uh, I had to have Brother Dan a little help, so I recruited people to come help me, and we recruit people from all of the United States to come and be a part of this, and people gladly come and have sign up and read 15 minutes, 10 minutes. Some people will read like this crazy guy here, sign up for three hours, you know, you have to recruit people to help you. But I was up reading, and all of a sudden, off to my left, I saw one of my, my friends kind of waving at me under his umbrella, and standing under the umbrella with him was this young lady who was Oriental. And I said, yes, Keith, what's up? He said, this is, uh, and he named the young lady, name, no, not name her name, but anyway, she is from China, and she'd like to read the Bible. I said, well, come on up. And so she came up, and she stepped behind the, the pulpit, driving rainstorm. We have a cover over the pulpit, over the Bible if it rains, and we had to cover up that day. And she began to read the Bible. I thought, right, she'd read one chapter. And stop, turn it back over to me. She didn't. She read an entire chapter. She read a second chapter. You could tell she was beginning to enjoy this. I thought at the end of the second chapter, she'll turn it back over to me. She didn't. She read a third chapter. And at the end of the third chapter, I noticed this. Rain was hitting her face and wet, wetting her cheeks. But I noticed it was more than rain wetting her cheeks. Her eyes literally were running and tears were coming down her cheek. And when she finished and turned it back over to me, I want you to listen to what she said. She said, thank you, my brother. Thank you, my brother, as she embraced me. She said, thank you for letting me read the Bible. We can't read the Bible in my home country of China. You know, last year she came all the way from China again just for that week to read the Bible. Can I hear an amen? The Bible is read nonstop. It's called the National Bible Reading Marathon. It's been going on for 28 years on the West Plaza of the United States Capitol. And most people don't even know it occurs. We're trying to draw more attention to it, get people to pray for it. There's all kinds of other events going on that we're a part of up on Capitol Hill. Some of them like this that are, that are seen. Other things maybe kind of behind the scenes a little bit. But we need your prayers to pray for us that God would bless and use us as we try to minister to what some people still call the most powerful city on the planet, Washington, D.C. I'm not sure if it is the most powerful city, but I do know this. It's a very influential city, much like your city of London is beyond influential in the affairs of world politics. Washington, D.C. is very influential. And it's true, friends, if you touch Washington, D.C., Ultimately, you touch the world. Are you with me? Uh, the impact is felt there. And so we're trying to have a, uh, that opportunity. And the Lord is continuing to open up other doors for us. And I'll get into a little bit of that at the end of the message. You say, Brother Dave, why, why do you do that? Why are you so... Some people say you're political. Can I say it has nothing to do with politics? 
has to do with sharing Jesus with people in power. Can I hear an amen right there? Has nothing to do with politics. By the way, may I say this, and this is free of charge. Do you know the killing of the unborn via this heinous thing called abortion that has been legal in my country since 1973 when a Supreme Court decision called Roe versus Wade was, 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 was handed down legalizing the murder of the unborn in the womb? Do you know the murder of the unborn called abortion? That's not a political issue. That is a moral issue. Can I have an amen right there? Someone said, you preacher, don't be political. Don't talk about abortion. I said, I'm sorry. That's not a political issue. That's a moral issue. That's an issue of right and wrong. And that happens to be terribly wrong. Amen? amen. So this has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not thinking about something. This is part of what's motivating me. I got to thinking about this and pardon the silly illustration before I read a few verses of Scripture and chat with you briefly and then we're going to make our way home. I got to thinking about this. Do you know God has three institutions, the first of which is the home? Let me ask you a question. If tonight, Brother Larry, uh, we made our way back to your beautiful uh, abode and as we got to the door like we did a number of years ago, in fact, I'll never forget this, uh, he was broken into while we were here at church. Any of y'all remember that? By the way, we had a violin stolen. Our oldest daughter's violin, Miss Ripley, you may remember that. We actually got the violin back, which was a miracle in and of itself. But if we got to Brother Larry's house tonight and we got to go to the door, we realized somebody had broken in and then gone in there and just kind of had a party in Brother Larry's house and they had beer cans all over the, the, the carpet had pizza boxes and crumbs of pizza left everywhere. Should Brother Larry, would you feel violated a little bit and you'd be a little upset? Can, can I hear an amen from Brother Larry? Yes. <laughs> well, why shouldn't he be upset? Well, that's his house, right? Yeah. Now, this would never happen. This is a silly illustration, but stay with me. What if on Wednesday night, all of you that are members of Bethel Baptist came in to the church? And along the wall over here, all the chairs were moved away. And along the wall over here, and along the wall over here, they moved the piano out this way. There were these slot machines. Oh, you know what a slot machine is? You put a coin in there and you can gamble. And he's like, what are those? Gaming machines. And all the air guns and I don't anybody get upset. Now, again, this has never happened. Okay? This, I mean, this is just, just kind of a, an illustration you know, of the absurd. But Brother Larry said, look, we figured out a way to raise some additional money for the church. <laughs> and so 30 minutes before every service and 30 minutes after every service is over, you can go to the slot machines and you can gamble. And if you lose, the proceeds go to Bethel Baptist Church. Okay? Would you be a little upset? Would you? Sure. Why? Well, that's my church. Nobody asked my opinion about that. And if they asked my opinion, I would have... And you know Brother Larry would never do that. Amen? <laughs> but you have a right to be upset because that's your church. More than being upset that somebody broke into your house because it's your house, can I say this? Really, that house you live in is God's house. The house we live in was given to us by the Lord. Yes, I've earned the money to pay the mortgage on it, and it's about paid off, thank God, in about another year. And you'll hear the shouts all the way across the pond when it is. But listen, it's not really our house, it's God's house. And by the way, you wouldn't just be upset because there was gambling devices inside this building, because this is your church. More importantly, this is God's church, right? There's a third institution God established. It's as old as the book of Genesis. It's underscored and reiterated again in the book of Romans chapter number 13. And the third of God's three institutions, they're His idea, Brian. Not just the home, not just the church, but there's a third institution called civil government. Do you know God is the one who came up with the idea of civil government? 
And by the way, you know we've allowed in my country to happen, and I say it to our shame, we have allowed corrupt people to come into God's institution, and they corrupted it. And to be honest with you, Brother Larry, I'm a little bit tired of it. Can I hear an amen? And I want to carry the truth back to Washington, D.C. I don't want to stand up in the Capitol, which I will do on May 17th. And I want to preach the Word of God in the U.S. Capitol and bring them back to truth. Amen. Amen. And by the way, everything you give to help our ministry goes to help with not just that, but the preaching of the Gospel around the United States and around the world. You say, Brother Dave, why is this such a big thing to you? I want you to look at Psalm 11. There's a verse in Psalm 11. I'm going to be, try to be very brief tonight. But I want you to see this. I have heard down through 33 years in the ministry and down through 57 years of having grown up in a pastor's home, I have heard a lot of messages on Psalm 11 and the verse I'm going to turn you to or have you look at in just a minute. And I'm not trying to be unkind, but without exception, every time I've heard the message preached on this particular verse, it's been preached incorrectly. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm somebody or I've discovered something nobody else has seen. I'm just telling you the few times I've heard someone preach on this passage, they always preach it incorrectly. You say, Brother Dave, what are you talking about? I want you to leave tonight beyond encouraged that God is going to do something in your life and through your life, whether you're a young person or an adult. You say, Brother Dave, what is the verse? Look at verse 1 of Psalm 11. Now, stay with me. This is very important. David is the human author of this psalm. And by the way, when we were in Israel two years ago, we will see it again when we're in Israel in April. We saw the spot that it is believed that David wrote this psalm. By the way, he wrote this psalm when he was running from King Saul who was trying to take his life from him. How many of you remember? David was the skilled player on the harp. Anybody remember that? Remember how Saul had an evil spirit troubling him? And at times when that evil spirit would trouble him, they would summon David and he would play skillfully on the harp and Saul's spirit would be refreshed. However, something happens. It was a disturbing thing, at least to King Saul. David wins this incredible victory over Goliath. How many of you remember? We talked about that a little bit earlier. He wins this phenomenal victory over Goliath, and it is such an astounding victory that the women of the nation of Israel start uttering this chant, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands, and Saul was a jealous man. And David is playing his harp in front of Saul one day and there's a javelin beside the king's throne and that spirit of jealousy wells up in him. He grabs that javelin. He tries to throw it through David and if he could have hit him, he would have pinned David to the wall with that javelin. He does that not once. He does that or at least tries to do it twice. So David's running for his life. And in that situation, out in the wilderness, in a cave... He utters these words. Look at Psalm 11.1. 1. In the Lord put I my trust. Now I want you to look up at me. Can I tell you my confidence in the United States of America is not in a politician. Can I hear an amen right there? Brother Dave, what do you think about Donald Trump? Can I tell you something? My confidence is not in Donald Trump. Can I hear an amen? amen. My confidence is in the Lord. Amen. David said, look. I know I'm fleeing from the king, but my confidence isn't in the king. In the Lord put I my trust. Watch the rest of what he says. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye, and he's talking to his peers who had evidently been telling him this, how say ye to my soul, I love this next phrase, flee as a bird to your mountain. Now there's a phrase we use in, in the United States. It's called get out of dodge. 
Anybody ever heard that before? I mean, things start heading south, man, you need to get out of Dodge. That's what they're telling him. David, you need to flee as a bird to your mountain. Get out of Dodge as fast as you can. Why? Because the king is after you. David, so let me tell you something. I got my confidence in the Lord. So why are you telling me to get out of Dodge? Run for your life! My confidence is in the Lord. But may I say this? You, if you know Christ the Savior, are absolutely invincible yes, until God gets through with you. Now that doesn't mean get out there and start acting stupid. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Driving your automobile. <laughs> you know, at about 500 miles an hour. Uh, if you, well, a Ford can do that. A Chevy can't do that. Anyway, I don't know. It doesn't mean that foolish. But the bottom line is this. Grace, I am invincible until God's through with me. That's what David is saying. My confidence is in the Lord. Now watch verse 2. Now he's not glossing over the problem that he has. It is a serious dilemma in one sense. Look at verse 2. He admits that, For lo, the wicked bend their bow. He's talking about the king. The wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string that they may privily, secretly shoot at the upright in heart. By the way, this is a hunting analogy. Anybody in... Does anybody do bow hunting here anymore like, like, like Robin Hood used to do? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, we still have bow hunting in, in the United States of America. And what, the, what he's saying is this. The, the, the wicked are doing this. They're, they're out in the woods and they got their bow bent with the string pulled back and an arrow on the string. And that little innocent deer doesn't even know that there's somebody waiting for him. And they're going to release the arrow and they're going to try to take the deer down. What David's friends are saying and what he's admitting is the king's got me in the crosshairs. He's trying to take me down. But my confidence in the Lord why don't you look at verse 3? Because here's the verse I've heard preached on a number of times and it's always been preached incorrectly. David is watching the king, the government of his day unravel. If you know anything about Saul at this particular time in King Saul's life, he is a troubled man. He gets so troubled and he's so concerned about having control of the people that he does an unbelievable thing. He goes to a witch at a place called Endor and tries to get that witch to conjure up the prophet Samuel so he can have a little help. Any of you remember that? King Saul's in trouble. Look at what David says in verse 3. He asks a question. If the foundations be destroyed... And by the way, in context, Brian, the foundations David's referring to are the foundations of, of government. I'm watching the kingship fall apart. I'm watching my king do ridiculous things against the God of heaven. If the foundations, literally in David's case, of government be destroyed, here comes the question, what can the righteous do? Here's how that has been preached incorrectly. I have watched guys say this. You know, if everything's falling apart in your country... What can we do? It's kind of a throw up your hands. The implication is we can do nothing. Can I tell you that's not what this passage is talking about? No, sir. If you watch everything in your world, in your country, unraveling, what can the righteous do about that? Can I submit to you two things? I hope you'll write this down. The first thing is this. If we're watching the foundations crumble, the first thing we can do is know some stuff. There are some things we can know. You said, Brother Dave, like what? Look at Psalm 11 and let your eyes rest on verse number 4. The first thing we can know is this. Look at verse 4. Uh, it says, The Lord is in His righteous temple. 
The Lord's throne is in heaven. Would you just write this down? If the foundations are collapsing, everything's crumbling around you, what can we do about it? Number one, we can know this, that He, God, sits. Right? His throne is in heaven. And He's still seated on His throne. God hadn't gone anywhere. Can I hear an amen? Somebody said to me years ago, Preacher, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? <laughs> That's a powerful consideration in it, Brother Peter. There's not a thing that's going to happen to me tomorrow but what God already knows about it. By the way, my wife came in with a plane doing this and bouncing up and down. They tried to land the first time, couldn't do it, had to come around and make a second pass. You know that didn't take God by surprise. God went up and heaven going, well, my soul, I didn't. That soul was about to get out of here. I didn't know that was going to happen. No. He knew. And He allowed to at least strengthen one lady's faith. <laughs> Amen. And she said, I don't need a whole lot more space strengthening right now. Okay? <laughs> she told me that. She said, if it's windy when we take off on Tuesday, I am not going. So go there you may have her for a little while. Okay? I'm just typically a little bit windy here. What I'm saying, folks, is this. God sits on His throne. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's not going to go anywhere. He is in control of all this. Can I hear an amen? amen? By the way, if you've gone to the doctor... <coughs> the dreaded C word has come up. Well, we're not sure we're going to have to run more tests, but we think it might be cancer. Can I tell you, that didn't take God by surprise. He knows about all of it, doesn't He? Maybe He's trying to show Himself strong through you. Like He just showed Himself strong through our pastor's daughter who went to the doctor and they brought up the C word and they said it's stage 4 or stage 5. And she goes to the doctor and through the process of surgery and testing of lymph nodes to make sure there's no cancer in them, they say, we, can, we, we, we knew those lymph nodes had cancer in them. Oh, every time we see them and they look like that, they have cancer in them. But yours don't. And so they downgraded her from stage 4 or 5 to stage 1. Can I, can I do this? <laughs> That's good stuff, right? Maybe God's allowed something to happen to you. Maybe a financial reversal so he can come through in a big way to show himself strong. Listen, if the foundation, if everything's crumbling, know this, he sits. Number two, you know a second thing. Now look again at verse four. Not only does God sit, number two, he sees. He sees. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Where do you get that? Now I want you to look at verse four. This is very important. Middle of verse four, his eyes behold. His eyelids try the children of men. That is, folk, everything going on. God from His throne in heaven where He sits, He sees every man. Now, I'm not trying to be political. I'm just giving you an illustration. How many of you know who Hillary Clinton is? Folk, I'm sorry, but I know too much. I know way too much. In there's things I know I haven't even shared with my wife. But I'm here to tell you, and I'm not trying to be political. I'm just being honest. Do you know Jesus called Herod... King Herod a fox one time. I'm here to tell you, Mrs. Hillary Clinton is a crook of the highest order. She is a purely evil individual. Back whenever she was running for the presidency, and by the way, I'm just going to tell you up front, Donald Trump wasn't my first choice, he wasn't my second choice, he wasn't my third choice, he wasn't my fourth, he wasn't my fifth choice. But that's who won. Okay? So I have an obligation according to the Bible to pray for him. Can I hear an amen? I do. I do. If Miss Hillary had won, I'd have prayed for her too. But I'm going to tell you what, I was sure praying she did not win because I knew too much about her. I knew what she had planned. And that is to shut the mouth 
of preachers in the United States of America by legislation or executive action that she wanted to implement. I won't go into the details, but it would silence some of God's preachers further in America. She is bad news. When she had her own little homebrew server, anybody follow that on the news? She had her own server, you know, for her email stuff, and it was housed in a some back room, off of a bathroom in some obscure location out west. But listen, I I don't know much, but I know enough to know that is illegal. Yeah. And she defended it. She jeopardized national security because they know now. The FBI verified it was hacked into by foreign government. She ought to not just be in jail, she ought to be in trial for treason. Preacher, that's your opinion. Yes, it is. It's an opinion based on fact. She should be tried for treason. And she lied incessantly. I don't know about you, that frustrated me. I was reading Psalm 11, 4. You know what it says again? His eyes behold. And Brian, I'm here to tell you something. She may get by with it down here. She may skate here on earth. She ain't skating with the God of heaven. Are you with me? The Bible says in Numbers 32, 23, Be sure your sin will find you out. And you know what? One of these days, hers is going to find her out. I wish it didn't have to. But God's too holy a God and He's too just a God to let her get by and He's too righteous to let us get by too. Are you with me? Amen. If the foundations are crumbling, everything around you is falling apart, what do we do, preacher? Just throw our hands up and quit? No. We need to know some things. Number one, He sits. Number two, He sees. Number three, would you watch this? He sorts. Look at the middle of verse 4 again. His eyes behold, his eyelids try. The word try means test or divide. His eyelids divide or test the children of men. Do you understand? God's going to sort all of this stuff out. By the way, I can't wait. all the liars and the people that have run in for office and lied their way there and have lied while they're in and take the money from the public trough to enrich. I cannot wait until they get, as we say in North Carolina, their comeuppance. Are you with me? Preacher! You mean they're going to be... Oh, yeah. People are not going to do wrong and get by with it before God because He's going to sort it all out. Thank God it's going to be Him. He's going to do a thorough job, isn't He? He sits and we can know that. He sees, we can know that. He's going to sort it all out. We can know that. Now buckle in tight. Look at verse 5. He's going to do a fourth thing and we can know this. He's going to send judgment. Look at verse 5. The Lord trieth the righteous. But the wicked and him that loveth violence, his, and the his is God's, soul hateth. Now look up at me for a minute. This is not a message for me to deal with right now, but I want you to notice what that said. It said, those that love violence, God's soul hateth. Those that love the perpetration of horrendous acts of evil. God, not doesn't just hate the act, the Bible says God hates men. He says, whoa, well, God loves people. Yes, He does. But you know God, the perfect being, can love and hate at the same time? Can I give you an illustration? A number of years ago, Brother Larry, I was talking to a woman who said, would you go visit my son in prison? I said, yes, ma'am, I will. She said, my son is in prison. Here's what happened. By the way, it's not just her son. This was a distant family member of mine. He walked into his own house. Forgive me, I'm trying to be graphic or gross. But his wife had another man in the house. He walked into the bedroom, called him together. He went back, lifted 
a shotgun, double barrel shotgun off the fireplace, bumped two shells into it, closed it, came back into the bedroom and emptied both shells, one into her and one into him, killed both of them. He jumped in his car, tried to flee. The police started chasing him. At night, Brother Peter, he turned into a cornfield and they had a broom right by him. But the guy is so crazy, he had his foot on the brake and the taillight split up. And they, oh, there he is. And they go down in there. Arrest him and take him to prison. They try him, convict him of double homicide. And he's serving jail time. My family members said, will you go visit him? I said, sure will. She holds up a bag of quarters, Brian, in a plastic Ziploc bag. She said, I know he doesn't get all he wants to eat in the prison. He loves those cheese crackers. Anybody want to come back to you? They come in a little pack and they got you know, two crackers and cheese. In them. He loves those little, call them nabs. You know, yeah. don't we? He loves those cheese. Wouldn't you take these quarters because they have those machines in the prison and he can insert the quarters and get as many of those cheese crackers as he wants. I want you to get him some cheese crackers. Will you take the money? Yes, I'll take it to him. She said he's got to have it because I love him so much. Not five minutes later. She said, he has brought disgrace on our family name. And she looked at me and she said, because of the disgrace, he's brought on the family name. I hate him! Did you hear me? I love him. But I hate him. See, folks, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is no love. Just like the opposite of light is darkness, it's really the absence of light that is the opposite. Are you with me? The opposite of love is no love. Love and hate, very strong emotions, can exist in the bosom of a mother. It can most definitely exist in the heart of the holy, righteous God. Are you with me? Look what God says He's going to do to those that work those kind of acts of evil. Look at verse number 6. Upon the wicked He shall rain snares, fire and brimstone and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. And you say, preacher, that sounds severe. I know it does. But folk, listen to me. There are some people, there are some people that have earned certain things. Now, I'm not advocating that you do this. But I will tell you, I have friends in the United States military. I have friends inside what's called the NSA in Washington, D.C., the National Security Agency. And before they are pulled from YouTube, I have a friend that says, Dave, here's what, even after they are pulled, here's where you can go to look at it. And Dave, he said, you need to see this one. You've got to see it so you know what we're facing. And Brother Larry, I went to the website. Sure enough, there it was. Because the video of that Jordanian pilot that was captured by ISIS. How many of you remember this? And they put him in a cage and doused his clothes, his red or orange jumpsuit with gasoline or some type of a, a flame, a, 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 not retardant, but something that would ignite flammable liquid. Thank you. My Alzheimer's kicked in. I appreciate that. Some kind of flammable liquid. And then they had a trail of it coming outside the cage all the way over here. And they took a torch and put it to the ground. And the fire followed that, that, that gasoline all the way inside the cage and engulfed him. Friends, I'm not trying to be graphic again. But I watched that man burn alive until his skin melted off of his bones. And he couldn't run and get away because he's in a cage. Can I tell you, friends, that kind of act deserves the judgment of a righteous and holy God, and it's not going to go in order. Are you listening yes. to me? Right. That is pure evil. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. That is pure evil. On that kind of stuff, 
and a whole lot more. God's going to rain snares. So, folk, look, here's the deal. If everything's falling apart, you see evil, it appears to be triumphing. What can we do? Well, we can know a couple of things. Number one, he sits, he sees, he sorts. One of these days, in his good time, he's going to send judgment. Are you with me? If everything's falling apart, what can we do? We can know some things, but see, the question is, what can the righteous do? Not what can they know, what can they do? So there's some things not only we can know, there's some things we can do. We're about done. Stay with me. I'm going to make it through. Do you know if everything's falling apart around you, including your country, like ours has been? You know what we can do? We can pray. Can you pray right there? Oh, Brother Dave, what good is that going to do? Can I tell you? That's exactly what I thought. When we got home to Brother Larry's and we walked in, you'd been broken into it. I remember asking my wife, I said, Honey, did we escape unscathed? And she said, All our clothes are there. I said, Of course they are. Who would want those? <laughs> and she said, I think we got out untouched. Miss Jane, I think, lost some jewelry and numbers of other things. And then finally, Betsy said, Oh, no. I heard her say that. Oh, no. And she was looking over to the piano that used to sit over there, I think, in the corner of your living room. And my wife said, Honey, I left Rachel's violin open on top of the piano because she didn't play the violin in the service that night. And it's gone. Whoever broke in stole Rachel's violin. But you don't know how much we prayed and how much we paid for that violin. And I remember asking Brother Larry, what are they going to do? He said they'll probably sell it either one of two places. Either one of the number of pawn shops around the city of Birmingham and what is you know, city of six million people. He said, you'll probably we could draw a radius and we kind of then get that one, visit a few of them, none of them have the violin. He said, or they'll take it out of the city and sell it in a boot sale, you know, out of the, the back of the car. He said, Dave, and he was just being honest, he's my friend. He said, to be honest with you, Dave, he said, chances are it's gone. So when we left to go back to America, we went with everything we brought except Rachel's violin. You know what? I got up in the Sunday morning service. Our dear pastor, Phil Voss, said, come up and give a report. And I stood up in the Sunday morning service. I said, Phil, we had an awesome time with our wonderful friends over in the city of Birmingham, England. And by the way, I love you more today than I love you then. It's just awesome what God's doing here. And I was sharing that, and I said, we brought everything back except one thing and told them about how Rachel's violin had been stolen. And, you know, it's gone. It's a big city over there. And Pastor Voss got up and did this. I'll never forget. He said, I want to pray right now. And he bowed his head and said, oh, God, I pray you'd smite the heart of whoever took that violin. Help them understand they stole a little girl's violin and bring great conviction upon them and cause them to return it. Amen. Lord. <laughs> I'm sitting down here and I'm thinking, oh, that's an awesome prayer. That's an awesome prayer. It'd just be great if God would actually do that. <laughs> and don't look at me and laugh because you prayed the same way. Pray the words but not thinking God's going to answer. I thought, that's a not, I love it when people say, that's a sweet prayer for you. <laughs> you know, that's one thing, that's an awesome prayer. No way God's going to ever make that happen. What was it, a month later? Two, I don't remember. I remember it was in the Statesville, North Carolina, Bill Larry, at South New Baptist Church, having a fellowship after the Sunday night service. And I'm over on this side of the fellowship hall, and all the way over in the kitchen, which is where the telephone was, a lady yelled across the, 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 the place there, the, the, the fellowship hall. She said, Dad, Brother Dad, phone call from England. <laughs> well, I thought, that's Larry Curtis. Only had one friend in the whole world. <laughs> You know, they called me out in England at that time, and I said, Was coming from Larry. So I headed over to grab the phone, and he said, Are you sitting down? And I said, No, should I? He said, He 
never going to guess what turned up tonight. But Larry, I already dismissed it. I already just, it was done. It was over, done, gone. I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. What showed up? I thought maybe somebody came to church. I didn't know. <laughs> he said, Dave, the violin turned up. I mean, I feel, I said, revive me with water. I said, what? He said, yeah, the kids, I think he said, were out playing in the back garden. And they were back there and they found the violin case. Violin was in it. He said, you know, the, the case is a little dirty, a little damp. I don't know when they threw it back over the fence, but somebody threw it back over the fence. <laughs> he said, we and we did, we trekked all over the garden looking for it. Right after the break-in, there was nothing that somebody brought it back. Can I hear an amen? amen. So when I say pray, we serve a God who can do the impossible. Amen. amen. By the way, stay with me. <laughs> Brother Brian, when Rachel decided to play violin as a profession, uh, Betsy told me, she said, honey, we need to have a conversation with her teacher who was a North Carolina uh, symphony concert master. And he told me, he said, Dave, your daughter's going to need a better violin than what she has. And I said, well, you know, how much are we talking about? And he said, well, <laughs> he said, we're, we're, you, to get a really, the kind she needs is going to cost you about 30,000 American dollars. Just think 30,000 British pounds. Or a piece of wood. <laughs> said this. I remember Brian Reagan said, he said, oh, listen, Dave, he said, my violin costs about 100000 Is it that's going to make me feel better? <laughs> I said, well, we don't have $30,000 30, anymore. And she said, well, we're going to pray. Hmm. Don't you love when your wife uses your own sermons against you? <laughs> you talk about prayer, big boy, we're going to pray. <laughs> they didn't say it that way. It's a message. What's it <laughs> Great kind of faith I am. We prayed the words. Now, now I wasn't thinking maybe God provided. She believed it. Brother Brian, in those days we had a uh, post office for our ministry on the other side of town near where our church used to be. And there was a gym there. So I'd go in and pump a little iron and then I'd swing by. Same complex. Pick up our mail. Head to the house. So I'd done my workout. Went by the post office box. Grabbed the mail. Went to the car. And I just thought, well, I'm going to open the mail in the car. And I noticed there was a letter there, among other letters, from an attorney's office in Halls, Tennessee. An attorney's office. And my first thought was this. Oh my goodness, I just preached over there about that. I said something in the pulpit and somebody's suing me. That's what they did. They're bringing the lawsuit. So reluctantly, I, I opened the letter. When I opened it up, it first paragraph said this. You have been referenced in the last will and testament of one Evelyn Lancaster. When it said that I knew who Miss Evelyn was immediately, she stood about this tall, didn't she? And a little short lady from Ripley, Tennessee, which was about five miles from Hall's, Tennessee. Married at the Baptist Church. That I remember her. The first time I met her, she said to me, she said, Brother Kister, I want you to come up to my house, which is two houses up from the church, out in the middle of the country, just a cotton field there. She said, I'm second house up. Pull into the carport at 11 o'clock and I'll be out there with my Bible. I want you to put your name in the front. You know how some people get your autograph of a preacher in the front of the Bible? She said, that's what I want you to do. I said, well, Miss Evelyn, really, I don't feel comfortable. She said, come up there and do it. I said, okay, Miss Evelyn, I'll do it. So about 11, 11.05, whatever, I drive up there. She's standing on the car for a She has her Bible and she handed it to me. And Brian, I'm not kidding. I started looking at all the names. I'm talking about these are great preachers. J. Harold Smith. R.G. Lee. James Alexander Stewart. Does anybody know that? Mm -hmm. Scottish preacher. 
He came to America in the 50s and preached a series on revival and evangelism at the college I attended. Of course, I went there in the 50s. But I heard about it. I listened. I, I, I read every one of those sermons in print. Powerful preacher. I said, when was Mr. Stewart at Maranatha here in Tennessee? She said, in the 50s. I said, what do you remember about him? Because he's one of my heroes. She said, remember how frustrated he was. Imagine this in the 50s with American Christianity. Mm. It hadn't gotten better since the 50s. <laughs> I said, Miss Evelyn, I am not worthy to put my name in here with these men. Uh-uh. She looked at me and said, you aren't leaving my cardboard unless you do. <laughs> well, she had a shotgun somewhere. <laughs> so she had a pen. I said, okay, Miss Evelyn, I'll work. I took the pen. I put my name. Signed up. I always did EVAN for Evangelist Day. Kissed her first name at 1224, which is my life verse. Handed it back to her. What did you think? I never thought another thing about it. Till I get this letter. You have been referenced in the last will and testament of one Evelyn Lancaster. I looked down through there, Brian. <laughs> this little lady lived in a cracker box house in the middle of nowhere. Do you know when she died? Stay with me. In her estate, in the form of liquid assets, money in the bank, she had $450,000. And she left it all to Christian ministries. Every saint, she didn't have any family. She left every bit of Christian ministries. 50,000 of the sword of 50,000 of another ministry. I kept looking down and I saw Dave Kister Family Ministries, which is what we call our ministry. And out from it, she left us, you guessed it, $30,000. I grabbed my cell phone, called my wife, and said, No, you're going to believe this. I just got a letter from the church. I thought I was being sued. But remember, Miss Evelyn, was shortly she passed away. We didn't know. And she left us $30,000. Betsy said, God, I'm going to call the guy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we go. Can I hear an amen right there? So when I say, what can the righteous do? And I say, we can pray. I'm talking a little bit of a Yeah. Because I say, my God, do awesome things. You see, everything falling apart, but it's in your individual life or in your country. What can the righteous do? Well, we know some things, but we can also do some things. We can pray. Yeah. Number two, would you write this down? We can also not just pray, we can participate in the process. Now, I mean that, I mean that in this way. Governmentally, I believe in participating in the process. I believe that means our vote when elections are held. Can I hear amen? My dad used to say this. Son, if you don't vote, you have the right to complain. Keep your mouth shut. And by the way, he said don't vote party. Don't vote person. Vote principle. Find the person who stands on the things that are most close to what you believe and vote for them. That's good advice. Can I hear amen? Amen. See, in our country, we got the donkey, we got the elephant. Democrat and Republican. My dad said, forget about the D and the R, forget about the elephant and the donkey. You vote principle. Amen. Amen. I try to do that. And they will do it with a clear conscience. By the way, I'm encouraging people in my country, I'm encouraging you here. If you don't like what's going on, why don't you run for office? And I don't mean that as a joke. Run. One of my pastor friends ran for the, ran for the United States Senate. Can I hear an amen? amen? Who better to make decisions that affect the nation than a preacher who understands the Word of God? Yeah. That's God's institution. 
little government. We cry and whine about how dark it's become. Well, let's do something about it. Let's bring a little light to it. Amen? It's what we're doing on Capitol Hill. You are our rope holders. You know what a rope holder is? We have a big tent. We set it up. Whole crusade's under it. Wind gets under it. Starts lifting the pegs up. And old Fred used to yell, grab the ropes! And people go out there, you know, hopefully big guys, Brother, brother Peter, and they grab the ropes and hold them down so they can be re-secured. And that keeps the tent up. You're our rope holders. You keep us serving God in America and around the world. Amen? Yeah. By your contributions and your prayers. Folks, please understand we appreciate what God can tell we participate. Run for city council. Run for school board. Whatever that, run for dog catcher. I mean, something. <laughs> Get involved and participate. Bring salt and light into the equation. So, if you see everything falling apart, what are the righteous to do? We're to pray. We're to participate. Number three. We're to prepare. And Nathan, you can come and get this thing ready. We can prepare for blessing. By the way, what sense does it make to pray and not expect God to do what you ask Him to do? Uh, you know who Dr. Tony Evans is? Dr. Tony Evans, black, black preacher in, in the States. That's a big church down in Dallas area. Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. I heard him tell us, he said, we had a big crusade in williams Bryce Stadium, which is the football stadium for the University of South Carolina. And he said, uh, we uh, had prayed about this thing. It was a one-night event. And he said, all of a sudden, we're going to meet at 4 o'clock for prayer. And he said, uh, we met and prayed. We're going to meet again at 6 o'clock for prayer. And he said, between the 4 o'clock prayer meeting and 6 o'clock prayer meeting, he said, the weather report comes in. We're calling for rain. It's 7 o'clock to 7.15. The meeting starts at 7 o'clock. Outdoor, what is it? 70,000, 80,000-seat auditorium? Stadium? He says, we met to pray. He said, all of us were praying, oh God, please don't allow the rain to come. And he said, there was a little lady, always a little lady. <laughs> little lady, I don't remember her name, but he gave her name, and she was there in the meeting, and all the pastors, the big name pastors had prayed, and then she prayed. And he said, I'm going to tell you what she prayed. I'm going to try to reiterate just, have you heard this kind of thought? She prayed, oh God, you called us to have this crusade so people could get saved. And God, if it rains, people are not going to be paying attention to the Word. In fact, they're going to be heading to the exits. So God, you would embarrass yourself if you let it rain. So God, I'm asking you, do an awesome thing and keep the rain away. Amen. He said, I thought, when she said you'll embarrass yourself, he said, I'm trying to get out of the way. Like, lightning bolt hit. <laughs> he said, she just knew the Lord. He said, we go upstairs. We sit down to start the crusade. He said, in, Brother Eric, I'm in the distance. He said, I saw the clouds coming. I could see the rain falling in the distance. He said, as it gets closer, he said, one of the pastors put his umbrella up, and this little lady that prayed that prayer, sitting beside him, and he tried to be the gentleman. He put the umbrella over her, and he said, she did this. She put her head up and went, I do not need your umbrella, because it's not going on. He said, I watched that storm come right toward us. He said, as it got to the parking lot, it split. Part of it went to the north of the stadium. Part of it went to the south. And when it got around us, it can reconvert somewhere down there. He said, we didn't get hit with a lick of rain. What good is it in faith if you don't believe God's going to do what you ask? Yeah. 
So we pray, we participate in the process, and we prepare for blessing. Can I tell you what I've been praying for for a long time? Is that God would bring revival to your country and to my country. This country was the hotbed of evangelism. Revival shocked this country in days gone by. I've read about all of them. It stirs my heart. And I pray, oh God, do it again in England. And Lord, some of what started in England came across the ocean to America. George Whitfield brought some of it with him when he visited America. And others. And we've seen what America calls great awakenings. We've had two of them. One in the 1700s, one in the 1800s. We need another one. Oh, God, send revival to America again. I've been praying. I thought, please, don't throw a hymn book at me. Not first, second, third, fourth, fifth choice. Donald Trump won. Do you know when he won the nomination? First, first thing he did was pick Mike Pence as his vice president. Now I'm here to tell you, I work on Capitol Hill. I've ministered to a lot of people. There is not a greater man alive in shoe leather and not a better Christian anywhere than Mike Pence. He told President Trump, what you need to do, sir, is have around you a spiritual advisory council upon which you can draw good advice. You know what Mr. Trump did? He picked 28 people. Some of those 28 are these. Franklin Gray. <laughs> Some of them was Billy Graham. He picked up a James Dobson. That's a good pick. The former head of focus on the family. He picked Michelle Bachman, a former congresswoman. From the state of Minnesota, Betsy and I know her well. She's one of the godliest women we've ever been around. Can I hear an amen, sweetie? She is. She knows how to pray. 25 more. Total of 28. I do a nationwide radio program every day when I'm in the States. I've done it because I'm here. When I get back, I'll start doing that radio program again. And in the Tuesdays leading up to our November 8 elections, we had Mrs. Bachman on three Tuesdays. The final Tuesday, one week away from our elections, November 8th, I said, can I ask you this? And will you answer it? She said, I'll answer you. I said, I want you to talk on air about the 28 people, you're one of them, that surround President Trump. And she said this on air. She said, I have never seen a man seek the advice of good people, take it, and implement it like he has done thus far. How about came out of my chair? We have a thing in America called the Johnson Amendment. It's an amendment to our tax code. It's not statutory law, it's tax code law. It's passed in 1953. When a gentleman by the name of Lyndon Baines Johnson, who became our vice president when John Kennedy was killed, he became president. Before that, he was a senator from the state of Texas. And he ran for re-election in the Senate, brother, and he barely lost because, I'm sorry, he was not a good guy. He just wasn't, okay? But two preachers in Texas who knew he wasn't a good guy spoke out against him, and they almost cost him the election. So he went back to D.C. and said, that'll never happen again. So he had included in the U.S. tax code a provision that says if you are a preacher of the gospel, you cannot talk about So can I tell you, a corrupt leader has nothing to do with politics. That has to do with morality. When John the Baptist 
Baptist said it's not long for you to have your own feelings. That had nothing to do with politics. That had to do with morality. Are you with me? That's right. But you know what's happened in America? The pulpits have gone silent. Because we're afraid we'll lose a precious thing that must cause our taxes and status. And then all of the giving that comes in will be taxed. Oh, and God can't provide it. That, that's what we think. Right. So we've muzzled ourselves. You know what Mr. Trump has said he's going to do? He's already started the process of doing it. That Johnson Amendment is out of the tax code. And you know what he said? I want it out because the preachers of America need to be able to stand up and speak the truth. Can I hear that? Amen. Amen. Oh, your campaign for this? No, I'm not. He wasn't my pick. But I want the big sign receiver. When in Isaiah 45, God said of Cyrus, You're my servant. In fact, he said it twice, didn't he, brother? And also twice he said of Cyrus this, You don't even know me. Literally, you won't even acknowledge my existence. But he said, I've chosen you, Cyrus, for the protection of my people Israel. You know, it was through Cyrus the command was given for the people to return from Babylon and rebuild the temple. You mean God used to corrupt you? He sure did. I'm now thinking, God, I wonder if you're up to something. And you two, the most unlikely of people, you're going to do things that are favorable through Him for the cause of Christ. By the way, I'll be back at the Capitol on May 17. Hopefully, Brother Brian's going to join me. We're going to have time, brother. We are. I'll be preaching in the United States Capitol at the very meeting you're about to watch. November 30, I was invited to come and speak. Most people in America don't know this. Most people around the world don't know this. But during the days of our third president, Thomas Jefferson, you know the largest church in Washington, D.C. was held in the Capitol building? And now they cry, separation of church and state, separation of church. No, listen, it's not isolation of God from government. That's not what the First Amendment of our Constitution talks about. But everybody's crying, you've got to keep God out of this. Church can't get involved in the affairs of state. Look, churches were held in the Capitol building in our country during the days of Thomas Jefferson. Six years ago, they started church services again. And they call the gathering, Brother Peter, the Jefferson Gathering. That's what they call the church service. It's on Sunday night and Wednesday night. It's called the Jefferson Gathering in honor of Thomas Jefferson, what he allowed to happen in the Capitol during his days as, as president. And by the way, Thomas Jefferson wasn't a leader. But he understood morality and preaching and truth relative to God and what he expects of his creation is important. And it's vitally important. So those church services were started. They were very small at first. They've grown. Congressmen, senators attend them. The night I was there, there were senators or congressmen there. Others can come visit. They'll invite a special guest to come in every once in a while and they invited me to come. And so I got to speak. So powerful was that night and the day that followed that the Senate chaplain, a gentleman named Barry Black, he's African-American, He's the former rear admiral of the United States Navy, Chaplain Black, dear friend of both Nathan and mine, said, not only do I believe God's going to send revival to America, I think it may start in the United States Congress. Can I hear a hallelujah? <laughs> Folks, I'm here to tell you we serve a God who can do the impossible. Why are we settling for so little? 
telling you, what are we to do? Well, we can know four things, but we can do three things. And the last of which is this, prepare for blessing. One last thing and I'm done. Preacher, first time I was here, there was a 92-year-old man here named Daniel Bird. Anybody remember Dan Bird? Daniel Bird came up to me and he had a book. I said, Daniel, I'll pay you any amount for that book. He said, Dave, I wouldn't charge you. I'd love to give it to you, but I don't know where I'd find another one. He said, but notice it is not copyrighted. He said, you can photocopy over at Brother Larry's or somewhere. His, the, the book was that thick. I thought I'll spend my entire month here photocopying his book. But I thought, well, the, the introduction, which was 30 pages long, I could photocopy that. And so I photocopied it and brought it home to America, and I keep it in a file, and I read from it, refer to it from time to time. The book was about the Welsh Revival of 1904 when for 18 months God breathed on the Principality of Wales. Folk, I've read everything ever printed about the Welsh Revival and I've actually visited the spot where it occurred in the city of Lower Wales, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Tiny little church, no bigger really much than this section of seats right here. And God breathed on Wales in response to the prayers of God's people. What happened is this. In 1859, Wales experienced a revival. It was short-lived. But they got a taste of what it's like when God blesses a nation. And from 1859 to 1904, they prayed, God, do it again. God, do it again. God, do it again. The author of that book made a statement I will never forget. He said, revival is like a reservoir. Like a giant container that holds water. He said for years we will pray sometimes and will not see anything happen. But if that prayer that's prayed is prayed in the Spirit for the glory of God, that prayer goes into the reservoir, the container. He said people will preach sermons. And Brian, you've done it, I've done it. And you preach your heart out and nothing happens. Nobody gets saved. Nobody sometimes even comes forward to deal with something in their life. But he said, the author did, if that sermon is preached in the power of the Spirit with the right motivation, he goes into the reservoir. And he said acts of kindness, like these incredible young people did, singing with all their heart, smiles on their faces, all the streets of Birmingham at the city center, you may not see anybody trust Christ. But if we did it, and I believe those kids did, with the right motivation for the glory of God, it goes into the reservoir. And he said for years in Wales, from 1859, prayers, the sermons, the acts of kindness, all went into the reservoir. And from 1859 to 1904, it filled up. And he said in 1904, a sovereign God reached up and pulled the plug out of the bottom of the reservoir and dumped all that out at one time in revival blessings. And I hear that I prayed for what I saw and you saw on that screen in my country, in the capital. That's why I'm investing my life there. God's up to something. God is doing That's why Nathan is there full time. And it costs money to do that. I'm traveling around the country. He's, got, he's a young man. They love him way more than they love me. I'm just telling you they do. He's a young But it's worth the effort because God's up to something. And I'm praying, Lord, just let me be a part of what you're up to. Help me to be a person who does this. You ever gotten a flicker started of a flame? You stand back and go, and you blow out some joint and get it going. You might have done that. I have. Lord, help me to be this. 
in the United States. You know what God needs in England? It's a bunch of people that go, whoa, until God breathes. You bow your heads, please, close your eyes. Father, I thank you that you've allowed me to live at this time in world history. Lord, you know I used to say I'd love to have lived back during the Second Great Awakening. But Lord, you didn't choose to let me live then. You chose to let me live now. And Lord, I no longer pray. Let me live in another time. I'm so thankful. I am beyond excited that I'm living right now in the year 2017. Because Lord, you're up to something in our country. And Lord, it is nothing less than the response to diligent prayer on the part of a lot of people for a long time. And Lord, I believe there are dear believers in this room who have prayed, oh God, for you to rend the heavens and come down and bring revival to England and Wales and Scotland and Ireland again. Oh God, I pray we'd have people volunteer tonight to blow until you descend. May we be facilitators preparing the way for what you want to do. Because, Lord, you've always used people to set the sail, prepare the stage, get everything ready. Then you descend in revival blessing. Now, friends, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm not doing what I'm about to do casually or lightly. I've prayed about this, I've thought about it. I've said, oh God, would you please work? For the last 18 months, I've traveled around my country preaching at least one message to God's church and saying, will you, will you, will you volunteer to be one of these who go, pray, pray, participate, and then prepare for what God's going to do. But we call it our dare to go to prayer team. About 20 minutes before the service started, Ryan and Nathan and I were in the back. We were recording a video that's now on Facebook. And I do that almost every night. A message and a prayer to our dear good prayer team. Saying, continue your prayers. What I'm asking you to do in America is would you carve out three to five minutes every day to pray for a revival in America. Now, I'm not putting a time limit on it, on it tonight for you. But I'm going to ask this. For those of you who know Christ the Savior, would you be willing in England to be a dare to go to prayer room and pray for God to do something in your country again? Something in your churches. Something in your cities. Oh, God. Please work the miraculous again. Friends, I never dreamed I'd see what I'm watching in our nation's capital. I can sit here for another two hours and tell you things are going on that can be attributed to nothing but God. And we're there at the right time. To divide what? Will you dare go to prayer for your church, your city, your country? You put the amount of time on it. 
if it's 30 seconds, God can multiply that. We can barely go to prayer for revival. If you'll be willing to say, yes, Dave, I get this. I see what you're saying. And I'll be part of that dare to go to prayer team for England, Scotland, Wales, Ireland. I'll dare go to prayer for this part of the world that God will send a revival here. If you'd be willing to say, I'll be a part of that, you put the time limit that you want to pray. You don't have to put a time limit. Just will you pray daily. Carve out half a minute, minute. Pray for a revival in your nation. If you'd be willing to say, Dave, I'll do that. I'll carve out that much time on a daily basis. If you'll be willing to do that, I wonder if you'd be willing to get up and join me around the altar here and bow your head and kneel. God bless you guys. Thank God for young men who have a heart for God. I'll dare to go to prayer for my nation. Oh, Dave, it's too late. No, it is not too late. It is not too late. Well, God doesn't revive in the midst of apostasy. Well, if He doesn't revive in apostasy, when does He revive? The word revival. Re again. Vive. Life. To come to life again. Revival presupposes declension and very serious declension. Yes, He revives. In the midst of horrible things going on and when the foundations are collapsing, looks like the world's going crazy. What are we to do? We're to know some things, but we're to do some things. We're to pray, participate, and prepare for blessing. Maybe you've got a wayward child. Why don't you pray for them in expectation? We serve an awesome God. Perhaps there's someone in the room tonight that doesn't know Jesus as Savior. And if you don't know you're going to heaven, I'd love nothing more. To put someone with you, take a Bible, show you how you can know Jesus. That brother Larry would love to do that. He's at the back of the auditorium. You could get up from where you're seated, make your way there. He'll open the scriptures and introduce you to the greatest friend you'll ever have. His name's Jesus. Christian friend, what about us? I want to tarry just a couple of more seconds. Anybody else say I'll be willing to be part of that dare to go to prayer team? Pray. Would you be willing to join us here around the altar and tell God that? Thank God one man raised his hand. Bless your heart, young man. You'll be a part of it. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Folk, don't ever sell God short. He's awesome. His power is unprecedented and unparalleled. Lord, I want to thank you for what you're doing in my life. I thank you, O oh God, that you have done some things about which I have prayed for years. You finally opened the door for us to have an office on Capitol Hill. And Lord, I didn't know. I thought it might be me. But Lord, instead, you've raised Nathan up with his unique set of gifts and abilities. You've put him on the hill full time. And Lord, He is our spokesman, really your spokesman. And I thank You for that. I thank You that He's endeared Himself to those that are of great power and influence in that city. And Lord, He stood His ground and they respect Him for it. And Lord, You're using Him. 
And Lord, all I do is walk into a situation that's already been prepared for me by Him and by you. Lord, I thank you for how you're using hope to the hill. Father, I pray that Chaplain Black is right. That we don't just have a revival, but Lord, it'd be stunning if you'd start the revival in the United States Capitol building among our saved, born-again congressmen and senators, and there's a lot of them there. Father, for what you do, we'll give you glory. Lord, I pray for this side of the ocean. Lord, where really everything started as far as our American heritage, this wonderful country of England. Oh God, would you're in the heavens and come down here where you worked so powerfully in the past. Would you bring revival? Use these young men here to my left to be the preachers of the next generation. Lord, Brother Brian was right. I'm not going to be here forever. Somebody's going to have to take my place, his place. May these young men be the ones that stand up. And in this country, thunder forth righteousness, truth. Father, bless your people. Those who are kneeling around this altar, give them the desires of our heart, which is that you might revive us once again. We'll give you great glory. We ask all these things, Lord Jesus, in your name and for your glory alone. Amen.